This morning, we are kicking off our summer series that we're calling Red Letter Riddles. Red Letter Riddles, why? Um, red letters, some of our Bibles, they, they choose to put Jesus' words in red to make it stand out. Uh, riddles or uh, parables that Jesus told, stories with an underlining message that had a, a deeper meaning to them that often left the disciples thinking, huh, what does this mean? That often leave us thinking, huh, what, what, what do these mean? So this, this summer, we're going to unpack a, a different parable every Sunday, and, and we're going to kind of wrestle with some of that, that deeper meaning. And hopefully, by the time we leave every Sunday, we're, we're asking, huh, a little less, though we might still be asking, huh, because some of what Jesus shares in the riddles are, huh, interesting. And so as we, we kick off the series, we'll be, we'll be doing it every Sunday. This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. If you brought your Bibles, I always invite you to bring your Bibles. Um, you're welcome to turn to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. You can use the Pew Bibles as well. The words will be printed on the screen too. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for bringing us to this place on this Father's Day morning. Thank you for the chance to, to be in worship together, to, to be here in community. And God, now as we, we open your word, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So our first parable is a part of what, what scholars often refer to as the kingdom parables. And they refer to it as the kingdom parables because they, they start something along the line of the kingdom is, of God is like. The kingdom of God is like, or God's kingdom is. The word kingdom would have made Jesus' listeners kind of look forward and, 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 and perk up and say, huh, what, what? What is he about to talk about? So first century Jews, they, they would have been familiar with the idea of, of kingdom language because in the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew text, actually later in the, the psalm that John just read from, we, we have this picture where God is the king of the universe. So in Psalm 103, verse 19, we, we read that, that God is sitting on a, a throne above his kingdom. It was language that was comfortable for first century Jews. It would have made them perk up and listen because it was language that they were familiar with. But it also would have made uh, non-Jews kind of perk up and, and listen because they would have heard kingdom and they would have said, who is he talking about Rome? Well, is he talking about somebody again? What, what is he talking about? It, it would have made everyone kind of perk up and say, huh, Oh, what what is going on here? There there are a few different types of of, of kingdom parables, and throughout the summer we're going to talk through them all. Some of them speak uh, to growth of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The, the growth of God's kingdom. Some are about the kingdom uh, of God and where it is found. Where you can relate to God's kingdom as an individual or as a community. And others, like the one we're about to read, point to a specific truth about God's kingdom. So Jesus would use these kingdom parables to say, this is how God's kingdom looks. So starting in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner 
who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And at about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual, usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have, been, have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today is Father's Day, and, and for those of you that are dads, happy happy Father's Day. Um, my dad and I are, are very different from one another. Um, he's an extrovert. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. He's naturally a morning person. I am not. He's a math guy. I'm more of a book and a, and a writing guy. I could go on and on and on in how we are different. Yet despite our differences, or maybe because of them, over the years we've grown pretty close to the point where uh, when Haley and I got married 14 years ago, we actually celebrated our our anniversary this last week, I, I knew that I wanted my dad to be my best man. I knew that I wanted my dad to, to be my best man. So that's my, my dad and I in high school and my dad and I at my wedding or at our wedding 14 years ago. My, my sister and my mom w- would say that growing up, my dad and I didn't get along at all. Uh, he'd push, he'd be hard on me and, and I do what boys sometimes do with their dads. I pushed back. I argued back. But those heated arguments eventually gave way to, to significant conversations. I learned how to love and lead a family from my dad. I learned to prioritize faith because of my dad's commitment to his faith community, to his church. And I learned to value hard work by watching my dad work. Now, my dad is also one of the most generous people I know. And and I'm not just talking about with his family or with his friends or or with his church or with the people that he knows. A a couple years ago, uh, we were down. It was actually right before I started here at WPC. We were we were down at the beach and he pulled into one of those parking spots that, uh, you know, you kind of turn on your emergency lights and and run something out to the beach and then come back to your car, like just the, the drop off zone. And he was dropping off something for the family at the beach and he comes back. 
And when he, he came back to his car, he found a man in his passenger door shuffling through the center console looking for change. And, and what does my dad do? And, and my family jokes about it, but, but he goes up to him and says, sir, can I help you? And the man kind of got startled and, and jumped back. And he, he has a, a handful of change from the center console. And my dad says, oh, you, you need some money? And the, and the man says, yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, do you want some water too? And he goes and opens his trunk and gives the guy water. It's just who, who my dad is. It's just how he, he functions. Uh, uh, my mom used to joke that my dad would go on runs in the morning or in the afternoon and he would be gone two hours. And we'd think, well, where is he? He would be helping a neighbor. He, he'd stop on the way and just, it's just who he was. People who know him, people from our, our, our family friends, uh, gave him the name Ranger Rody because he's always looking out for other people. It's like he doesn't even have to think about being generous. It's just how he is. It's another way that we're different, if I'm honest. I really want to be like my dad in that regard. I really want it just to kind of come secondhand and just say, oh, yeah. You know, I, I can wake up early. I'll, I'll go and see what the neighbor needs right now. I, I can, well, that person needs gas. Yeah, let me stop and get them gas. Oh, they need to find the freeway. Oh, let me take them to, to where the freeway is. Those are the things that my dad just does naturally. But for me, it takes work. For me, it's something that I have to kind of discipline myself with. I'm not wired in that, that same way. It doesn't mean I'm not called to be generous. It just takes work. Now, the truth is, whether it comes naturally or not, we're all called to be generous people. The way we love others, the way we, we give of ourselves, the way that we, we share what we, we have, it's all done in response to God's grace. It's all done in response to what God has extended to you and to me. Our, our parable this morning reminds us of how vast and wide that grace is. A landowner goes throughout the marketplace looking for, for workers for his vineyard. And as he finds them, he hires them and sends them out into the vineyard during different times of the day. Some go out early in the morning. Some go out kind of mid-morning. Others around lunchtime. And then some in the afternoon. And then the last group right before the work day ends. They head out and, and maybe work an hour. Then, right as the work day is about to close, he finds this fourth group. He, he brings them in. And he hires them. And when he asks why they've been standing around idly all day, they, they just say, because nobody has hired us. Because nobody has hired us. It's, it's almost uh, that, that picture that they're looked over. It's almost that picture that you see on a, a playground of school kids when they're, we're picking basketball teams. And they're the last kids to get picked to be on the basketball team. Maybe they weren't as skilled Maybe, maybe they weren't in the right place at the right time. Maybe they didn't have the right connections. We, we don't know. We, we don't know. But, but when they, they're asked, they say, we've just been, we, we haven't been hired. We, we haven't been hired. It's not that they're lazy. It's not that they didn't want to work. We, we, we really don't know. 
But we do know that at the end of the day, there was still plenty of work to be done. So the landlord hires them and they go out into the vineyard and and put in about an hour. The sun goes down and he brings the workers in to get paid, all of them in to be paid. And and here Jesus is reminding the disciples and and really anyone who reads the parable uh, about a Levitical law that, that was created that so when anyone went to work, when you went to work, you would be paid that day. And you would be paid that day so that you could go home and on the way home, stop at the market and get your family food for the day. And, and so, so here the landlord extends pay to each of the workers for the same amount, whether they worked 10 hours or whether they worked one hour. It's as if he, he knew that each of the families had to eat, regardless of how much their dad or, or husband had been working that day. Now, I don't know about y'all. You don't have to raise your hand. But when I hear that, I say, that's not fair. Maybe any, anybody with me? It's not fair. It's, it's, it's not, that's, that's not, that's not how I think. I resonate with, with the folks who, who come to the landlord and they say, hey, we worked longer. We worked harder. We worked in the heat of the middle of the day. We deserve more. And Jesus says that the landlord replies, look, I gave you what I promised. You you got what we we talked about. Don't be stingy just because I am generous. Don't be stingy just because I am generous is what the landlord says. Now, there's a not so subtle warning here for anyone who claims to follow Christ. We don't get to decide how God extends grace. Or to whom God extends grace to. We don't get to decide who is in and, and who is out or, or who God reaches. We don't get to make that decision. It is not our job. Right before Jesus tells this parable, Peter and the disciples, they're, they're talking with Jesus and they're, they're unpacking a really difficult interaction that they had just witnessed between Jesus and, and a, a wealthy man. Many of us know of this interaction. J- Jesus is walking and the wealthy man comes alongside of him and says, Jesus, I follow all of the commandments. I follow everything. What do I need to do to inherit your kingdom? What, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, oh, it's simple. Sell everything you own. It's simple. Sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And the man looks down and he walks away and says, I can't, I can't do that. I, I can't. And he's obviously sad. He walks away. And so, so the disciples are, are, are left there standing with Jesus. What, what just happened? And, and Peter says, look, Jesus, look. We left everything and followed you. We, we did what you just asked of that man. What do we have to show for it? What, what do we get? What, what do we have to show for it? In other words, we've been walking with you since day one. We've been working with you. We've been working for you. What's in it for us? And Jesus replies, yes, you followed me and... Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Where where did we just hear that in the parable? 
right? So, so this happens, and then Jesus follows that up, this interaction, this conversation with the disciples by telling the parable that we just read. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Eugene Peterson calls this the great role reversal. The story answers Peter's question, but it also addresses concerns that the Pharisees or the religious elite would have had about Jesus with the way that he he welcomed tax collectors, that he sat down with outcasts, the way that, that Jesus kind of leveled the playing field, elevating those who were seen as as weak and humbling those who were considered to be strong. It definitely made some of the religious elite feel uncomfortable. But this parable wasn't necessarily aimed at the Pharisees. Who was he talking to? This is where we respond. The disciples. They were just walking with them. He he was talking with the disciples. All of a sudden, it wasn't just the Pharisees that needed to be reminded of the depth of God's grace. It wasn't just the Pharisees that needed to be humbled. It was also the disciples. It was also the the disciples. They needed the reminder as well. Spiritual pride isn't something that is reserved for one type of person or one group. We can all fall victim to it. Years ago, when I was first starting out in ministry, I worked with with a middle school youth group, and and middle school kids are, are 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 wild and crazy, and they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be, you know, they're they're just running around thinking, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Looking for a way to to fit in. And I had worked with these kids for a couple of years, and some of whom I had seen grown up in the church. And they were a very tight-knit group of kids, 15 to 20 kids. And I'll never forget the night that a new kid showed up at the youth group. And it was a kid who was kind of known as a nuisance throughout, throughout the community. I volunteered on the school campus, and the administrators just said, look out for this kid. And he comes walking in through the gate of the church, and this sweet 12-year-old girl that I had known since she was born walks up to him and says, what are you doing here? What, what, are, what are you doing here? It was brutal. Now, we might not act as directly as, as she did, but if we take an honest inventory of ourselves... We've probably thought that same thing, whether here at WPC or somewhere else. We thought, ah, what, what are they doing here? Ah. A lot of the time, whenever Jesus aimed to make a point, whether he was talking with a small group of people or, or with a big crowd, he would pair a promise with a warning, which is exactly what he's doing here. In the Sermon on the Mount, he places the beatitude right next to the reminder that he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. In the Lord's Prayer, we're, we're going to pray it in, in a few moments. We, we pray and ask for God's forgiveness as we forgive ourselves. There's a balance between, when Jesus taught, there's a balance between gospel and law, between grace and the expectations of those who claim to have received that grace. 
This parable reminds us again that no one is immune to spiritual pride. Not the Pharisees, not the disciples, not those of us who have grown up in the church, not those of us who have been here for a long time, or those of us who are just coming, not even 12-year-old kids in our youth group. No one is immune. And the only cure for that spiritual pride is a greater awareness of our own need for God's grace. A greater awareness that, that we, we, all of us, are in need of God's grace. God's grace isn't something that we can, we can store up and save for a rainy day. It's, it's not a reward granted to those who are more deserving for one reason or another. And it's not the sort of thing that one person can have a lot of and, and another person only gets a little. It's not pie. It's a unique gift that calls for an uncommon response. Over the years, Haley and I have developed a, a bit of a habit in our house. Well, she, she started it, and I kind of jumped on board later. But whenever one of us screws up, either with, with each other or, or with, with our kids, we'll kind of just look to each other and say, yeah, grace abounds. Grace abounds. It's a small reminder that it's okay to not be perfect. None of us is anyway. But it's also a reminder that God is is constantly at work extending grace to you and extending grace to me every single day. So this week, I want to encourage us all to receive that gift, to to be reminded daily that, that grace abounds. And then I want to invite you to find a way to respond to that grace by finding some way to be generous in your community. Maybe it's lending a a listening ear to a neighbor when you think you don't have any time. Maybe it's writing a quick note to tell somebody that you're, you're grateful for the way that they've impacted your life. Maybe it's taking a friend out to lunch. Maybe it's visiting JR and the SYF folks at the, the, the donut table and buying somebody a donut. Are there donuts today, JR? There are donuts today. Phew. But I want to encourage us all to find a, a tangible, tangible way to, to know that grace abounds in our lives and to respond to that grace by being generous with someone else. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for the gift of grace. God, help us to be increasingly aware of our own need for it. May we be a church that responds to what you offer us with overwhelming generosity. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.